0: Welcome to the Millerville Community Church podcast of our Sunday morning sermon series, where the Word of God is always the focus of our hearts and prayers. And now, here is a message from Sunday morning at MCC. Good morning. Merry Christmas. I think that was Hebrew back there. Well welcome, we're so glad to be together and I know there's lots of family and friends together during this time, so um, hopefully it's a joyful time for you. It might be also a time that brings back a lot of memories, I know it does for me. So um, we praise the Lord for what he's done for us and you know really that's our focus and I find getting ready for Christmas is a very busy, busy time, except for my three brothers who decided that they needed to do an extra luncheon tomorrow at lunch. (laughs) You guys don't understand that. We get together for our our birthdays, and Tom's been away for his birthday, so he's back, and so we want to get together. And my three brothers said, well, let's do it Monday, you know, one day before all the festivities really start in. And I'm thinking, what? You three guys just kind of walk in, and there's Christmas? (laughs) and they go yeah so anyway but it's still fun to celebrate and it's fun to celebrate the birth of Jesus and um, but what I was going to say is the busyness um, you know how they always say to keep your focus on Christ during Christmas and it actually it's difficult because we're trying to do all these things and we know you know we know this is the birth of Christ but I think what it really is saying to us is be still and know that I am God. And I hope for you that you take those extra moments to do that. Either get up a little bit earlier so that you can just have some peace and quiet in the early morning hours before things get really rolling or whatever it takes to really take that time to pause and be quiet before the Lord. And I think that, you know, it's just it's such a special time of year that it's a lot more than you know the celebrations and the family or friends or whatever it's a lot more than that it's really about christ and um... the only way that we really truly remember that is to take that time and have it with him so let's pray lord we do thank you for your word we thank you for the things that you tell us in your word and we pray that you would help us um... with true belief that we would really believe the things that you tell us And that in our hearts we respond to you and uh, draw close to you because you have drawn close to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, we're starting today with um, the peace. We lit the peace candle. And so we've, you know, done hope, we've done love, and we've done joy. And we have the words on the walls around here, thanks to Sandra. And uh, now today is the day that we celebrate the peace candle. And so I want us to, um, the title of our our, uh, sermon today is Without the virgin birth, there is no peace. And I know that the virgin birth um, comes under attack just like the word of God comes under attack. People say, well, it doesn't mean virgin, it means maiden. Hopefully after this morning, if that's still a question for you, you'll have that settled in your mind that when God gives a sign of a virgin birth, it truly is a virgin birth. And so uh, we'll look at Luke 1, and we're going to look at some witnesses to that virgin birth. And the first one, Luke 1, 26, and I'm going to read down to 38, is really the account of Mary hearing that she's going to give birth to the Son of God. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Hail, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered and said to her, the bondslave of the Lord, be it done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. And so we see Mary's response is an indicator. Mary knows that she's never known a man. And so when the angel Gabriel tells her this, she believes. And of course she does conceive by the Holy Spirit. And, um, you know, the virgin Birth follows so mary is actually one of our first witnesses to the fact that yes it is a virgin birth The angel Gabriel is the second one that we have because he came and he spoke and he said this. And Gabriel has said in the past with uh, Zacharias, when Zacharias doubted a message that Gabriel brought, Gabriel said, wait a minute, I just came from the presence of God. Do you think I can just come in? He didn't say it quite like this. Do you think I can just come right in here and just make up something? You don't think that I would be struck down by God? which he has done with angels in the past, distant past. And so Gabriel knows there's no chance that he's bringing a lie. And so Gabriel is our sec- second witness that it is a virgin birth because Gabriel has the message straight from God. And so um, we see from that response that, yes, this is a virgin birth. But let's look to what um, the response is of Joseph. So if you turn with me to Matthew, if you have your Bible with you, if you don't, that's fine, I'll read it. But Matthew 1, verses 18 uh, to 25. And this is Joseph's response. So Mary's already heard the news, and um, how it's going to happen is the Holy Spirit is going to come upon her. It's not going to be through a man, it's going to be the Holy Spirit. Now Joseph gets enlightened. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, and remember the betrothal is not like ours in our day, the betrothal was a definite thing, and you know, this is basically who you are going to marry, and it's um, it's already a, a done deal, so, um, but they haven't come together, they're not Uh, living together yet. So when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man, so that's not just that he does the right things, but it means that he is righteous. He's been made righteous by God himself. So he is a righteous man. He's a true believer. And uh, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her because Their law was if you were caught in adultery, you would be stoned. And so although they didn't necessarily follow up on that law, that actually was the law. But for sure, it was complete disgrace and uh, shunning of Mary if she's found to be, um, you know, to have been unfaithful. And so uh, he wants to put her aside so that won't happen to her. He wants to, you know, find a, a home for unwed mothers that nobody knows about that's far away from where they live. And so he desire, desired to put her away secretly. But when he had considered this, when he thought about it, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for that which has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for it is he who will save his people from their sins." And so that word um, Jesus, that name Jesus means he saves, Jehovah saves. And so uh, even Joseph is told, this is what you're going to name him. Now all this took place that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled saying, behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph arose from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took her as his wife and kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. And so we see Joseph doing exactly what he was told to do. It wasn't what was in his mind, but when the angel came and said, this is what you're to do, he was a true believer. He believed and he obeyed. And so Joseph is our third witness that, indeed, this is a virgin birth, because he knows it's not him. And the fourth one, the angel that appeared to Joseph, is a witness that this is a virgin birth. And so we have a number of witnesses that it is a virgin birth. But it's um, we have a quote here from the Old Testament, and It's saying, you know, Matthew, who also is a witness because he's an apostle and he's written all this down, inspired by the Holy Spirit. Luke also is a witness because he too is inspired by the Holy Spirit and writes these scriptures down that that we just read previously. So each of them are really a witness of what, um, that it is a virgin birth. So, why is the virgin birth so important? Like, why can't we just say, well, yeah, Jesus came and it was like, you know, the Son of God, but, you know, why does it have to be a virgin birth? Like, why do we have to believe that? And why is that so important to the whole story of Christmas, Um, the whole story of peace? Can't we have peace without it being the virgin birth? And the answer to that, as we're going to discover as we work through our scripture, is because it's really important that Jesus, the Savior, be born without sin. And one says, well, how could it be born without sin? Now, there's a misconception that has been around for a long time. I know I believed it when I was younger, before I was taught in the scriptures, that um, the sin was, you know, the man and the woman coming together. So that's the sin. And actually, that's not the sin. The problem is with Adam himself, who passed it down through the generations. And so um, we're going to look at how that wasn't going to be the case. So let's look back at these prophecies in Isaiah. So, Behold, the virgin shall be with child. The virgin will be with child. And that's the prophecy that came to Isaiah. So let's flip back to Isaiah. And uh, I'm looking at a few passages in Isaiah. But this particular one is from Isaiah 7, verse 14. And the background to this is Isaiah is a prophet many, many years, like 700 years before the birth of Jesus. And he's prophesying, they're in trouble in Israel as usual, they're having um, battles, and like I've said before, the Middle East has always been in the middle of trouble. And so um, trouble was back then too, and they were invading force armies that were coming at them. And Ahaz was actually, he was a very wicked king, he didn't believe in God, even though he was the king of, of Judah, which was the southern um, kingdom. Of Israel and so he didn't believe in God and Isaiah kept warning him and Ahaz never believed and so um, God said Judah will be preserved through this. Ahaz asked for a sign from me and Ahaz who's been wicked all along who has never believed in God says oh well you know, I'm not supposed to be asking for signs, says in the scriptures in Deuteronomy, he quotes this ungodly king quotes that we're not supposed to test God and put him to the test and not supposed to do that. And so he says, oh, no, I won't do that. So he directly disobeyed God. And Isaiah said, you're going to get a sign anyway, but it's not going to be a sign for Ahaz. It's not going to be a sign that's going to tell him about you know, that he'll be preserved with this onslaught of these other armies. It's going to be a sign for all Israel and for all of us included. And this is the sign. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. So this isn't a virgin that's going to be in Ahaz or Isaiah's day. This is going to be a virgin that's going to come later, and that you is plural. So it's saying, I am giving you a sign. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm pretty familiar with women having children. To me, that's a fairly ordinary event. It's not like a sign, wow, this has never happened before. And signs are meant to be things that have never happened before, like they are shocking, amazing, something that is wondrous, something that makes us go, wow, this is God. And, you know, a a woman having a child is not that wondrous event, as wonderful as it is. It's not like we all go, I've never seen that before. Not at all. And so when it's a sign, it's got to be something very unique. And Isaiah says it is. It's a virgin. We, we do not know of that ever happening except for this one time in history when Mary conceived by the Holy Spirit. And so that will be the sign. And, um, the, and he will be called, his name shall be called Emmanuel. And what do we learn that Emmanuel means? God with us, exactly. And so it means God with us. Now I just want to look at that word virgin because people, um, this would be more in, uh, you know, modern times, um, translated maiden. It just means young woman. It's still going to be a young woman. It doesn't necessarily mean a virgin. And the fact is that 300 years before Christ was born, the what we call the Septuagint, um was translated. And the Septuagint is the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament that we call it, translated into Greek so that the you know the people of the day could understand their Bibles. And so that's what we call the Septuagint. It's the Greek Old Testament. Three hundred years before Christ, it was translated. And the seventy Jewish scholars who know the Hebrew language an awful lot better, then modern liberal theologians translated that as virgin. And they used the word Alma. And Alma translated, which is the Hebrew word, is translated into the Greek Parthenos, which means virgin. It's very specific to being a virgin. And they translated that word in Isaiah as Parthenos when they translated it into the Greek. So... um, you know, the scholars also agree that that's why, that's what it says. Why is this so important? Why do we need to stick with this teaching that it is the virgin birth? What God said is a virgin birth really truly is. Why does it really matter? Why do we need to um, be so strong on this? And it's because of where sin comes from. So we all know that you know we have done things that um, are not okay. That we have either disobeyed or we've um, directly gone against a law that is a, you know a moral law or even a law of the land, whatever. Um, we know that we have done wrong. Like it doesn't take a lot to come up with something. Even if all we can come up with is what we call little white lies, which, you know, there is no such thing. But even if we think, you know, I'm not that bad, we're comparing ourselves to one another. But God has his standard, and we know that none of us really can meet God's standard. So that one, most of us are okay with. But in addition to this, where it comes out of is called the sin nature. And the sin nature comes to us at birth which is hard to believe when you're holding that little baby until they have their fit and then you go, "Oh yeah, I see it." <laughs> so, the sin nature actually comes from Adam. And so, if you know the story of Adam and Eve, you know that Eve ate from the apple first. And so, and then she gave the apple or whatever the fruit to Adam and then Adam ate, and then the scriptures say that that then their eyes were opened. It was Adam's sin. He's the first. He was created first. Eve came out of Adam. And even though she sinned first, it's Adam's sin that contaminated the human race because all the human race comes from Adam. So in Adam, right at that moment when he took of the fruit that he was told not to, all of the seed of the world was in Adam. And so after that, it's Adam who passes on like we are in what's called Adam's race. So we are born of Adam. We're all human. Angels are not from Adam's race. And so we're born of Adam's race. And from that, the sin, the DNA is passed down to all of us. All of us actually have original DNA from Adam some portion of it we have from Adam and with it came that sin DNA for the lack of a for an easy word for us to understand and so that's why sin the sin nature is passed down through the father all of us have a father we may not know our father but we all had a father there was the seed and it's not passed down through the woman now all women also are born of that seed. And so, you know, all women in the world have the same problem as all men in the world. But it explains why Jesus could be born of Mary, who also had that sin nature, and not be sinful. Because his father was not a human father. It wasn't Joseph. It wasn't any other male. It was the Holy Spirit um, himself. And so we have the witness of the Holy Spirit, and we have the witness of the Father. And so we see um, it's another picture of the Trinity all coming together in that that one understanding of Scripture. So we need a sinless man to provide the sacrifice for us. Christmas is all about Easter. Like this is the beginning of us moving toward Easter as we celebrate the coming of the birth of Jesus Christ. Why? Why? Does God have to come as man? He comes in order to redeem us. And we need a perfect Redeemer. We need a Redeemer who is born without that sin nature, without that DNA, and who was born of um, a human as well, Mary, so that a man can die for us who are, you know, from Adam's race. So um, Jesus did indeed live a sinless life, and he provides that, um, that reconciliation for us. So in Isaiah, if you flip over to Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, this is such a familiar passage to us, but it's all in the same context of the Messiah being promised, so that we understand that this Emmanuel is actually the promise of the Messiah, for a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace, and it's the Prince of Peace that we're going to pick up on. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this so we see that it's the prince of peace that we want to pick up on and there's no end to his govern government the Lord is returning Jesus is returning and when he returns, he is establishing his kingdom on earth. And there will be no end to his government. After that, there will not be the dealing with sin that we have had to deal with. Like, we see it all around us. Even if we think we're not so bad, we certainly can point to other people who are terrible, who are wicked. And uh, we s- that, will be, that will come to an end. And as we learned a few weeks ago at the beginning of December, when we looked at King Melchizedek, his name is the king of peace. That's what um, one of his names. So that was given to us in, in Hebrews 7 too, for those that are wanting to look that up later. Then the last one I want to look at in Isaiah is chapter 54 of Isaiah. And Isaiah 54, verses 9 to 10. For this is like the days of Noah to me. This is the Lord speaking. When I swore that the waters of Noah should not flood the earth again, so I have sworn that I will not be angry with you, nor will I rebuke you. For the mountains may be removed, and the hills may shake, but my loving kindness, and that can be translated mercy, my loving kindness will not be removed from you, and my covenant of peace will not be shaken. And so we see, um, says the Lord who has compassion on you. So we see that he's connecting our redemption with his covenant of peace. So, what is this peace that he's talking about? And Pastor John already talked about that too. You know, he introduced us to that whole theme of what that peace is about. Is it like what kind of peace? Is it world peace? Is it, you know, peace between brothers that we won't be fighting? Is it peace, you know, man to man? Is it like just being quiet and not having chaos around us? What is peace and how is that peace brought? And he says, my loving kindness will not be removed from you. So we see that peace is connected with God's mercy. And when we seek peace connected with God's mercy, that's when we see, um, what his mercy is all about. Because his mercy is actually withholding from us the judgment to come, the judgment of his wrath. So the wrath of God against all unrighteousness of, of men. So it's not man per se, it's the unrighteousness of man that's the problem. And when we cling to that unrighteousness, then we too will be swept up in that judgment day. And God says, but... My loving kindness is upon you. I love you. And I am a merciful God. And so instead of the wrath of God descending on us, we may have the peace of God. So this huge difference between the wrath and the peace. And the peace is made so available to us through Jesus Christ. And so his peace came to us um, through the cross. And it was on the cross, This that's why... Christmas is so tied into Easter because he came in order that he might die. You know, he's not going to die as long as he is the supernatural um, only, you know, in heaven. He must come as man in order to be able to die. And so he does come as man through the virgin birth, born sinless, lived a sinless life, and then chose to go to the cross for us. So he didn't die for himself, he did not have to die you know there's no way that Rome or the Jewish people or any of the rest of us could actually kill him because he death is the result of sinning and he never sinned and so his death is completely something that he gave up freely so when he was hanging on the cross and and we've said this before he could have hung there forever until he decided that he would give up his spirit, which is what the scriptures teach us, that he gave up his spirit, and he died willingly so that he would taste death, he would take on death, he would take on the penalty for any who would believe. So he died for the sins of all mankind. Everybody's sin is dealt with. The wicked, everyone is dealt with. But the caveat is that we must believe. And so that's our part, is to believe these things that, that he has told us. So he, has, um, he died for us even while we were still sinners. And we saw that, we see that, and we'll see that when we you know, move into the um, Easter time. We will see how men hated him. And they, were, um, they spoke vile things against him, things that were not true. And they just wanted him dead. Well, while they were doing that, Christ died for them. And that's true for all of us, that you know there was a time when we were angry with God or ignored Him or didn't care about Him. And even then, he loved us. And he says that he has come for us in spite of that. And so um while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In uh, Colossians, I just want to read in the New Testament, moving to one of Paul's letters to the Colossians. And he says to them in verses um, chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, for it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness, that means all the ful- fullness of the Godhead, to dwell in him, meaning Christ, and through him to reconcile all things to himself because there was this division. We saw that in the story of Adam and Eve. When Adam sinned, there was a division. They were cast out of the Garden of Eden because there's a division, and he says here that through Christ, God is reconciling all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of the cross. Through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. So even though we were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, God has reconciled us, And so he says that that is what the peace is. So when we see in the Christmas story, when we talk about peace and peace on earth, yes, it will someday mean that there will be a peaceful earth, that man won't fight with man, but why? Because of the peace that we have, the reconciliation with God. That's actually what it's talking about. So the peace on earth is going to be um, our reconciliation to God himself. He is Emmanuel. Listen to what Jesus says. When uh, This is right in, in John, but this is right before um, he goes to the cross. So it's like the day before, the night before, actually. And uh, in John 14, verse 27... He says um, to, you know, this is the Last Supper, and he's just talking to his disciples, and he says to them, but really for all of us, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives. So the world gives, um, the world tries to give, you know, peace treaties and trying to get people so that they won't fight. And Jesus says, I'm not giving you that kind of peace. I'm giving you true peace. I'm giving you my peace. I give you let not let your not your heart be troubled nor let it be fearful because he knows that they're going to be in great fear the next day when he is hanging on the cross they scatter and so he says don't be like that he says I'm giving you my peace and then in 1633 in John still these things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace in the world you have tribulation there are difficulties you know that that doesn't take a stretch to see that there are difficulties in the world in the big world as well as in our small world there are difficulties there are tribulations we go through things we wish we didn't have to go through we have animosity with people that we wish we didn't have animosity with there are tribulations we have sickness and there is death so in the world we do have tribulation but take courage jesus says I have overcome the world. And so um, even as he is about to go on the cross, he's reminding them again and again that there is peace. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. So um, I just want us to turn to Isaiah 12 again. And, you know, this isn't really part of the Christmas story, but I just was reading through Isaiah and... This chapter um, just strikes me as such a wonderful chapter to end with. And um, it's about salvation. And so um, it's about God being in the midst of us. So Isaiah chapter 12. Then you will say on that day, I will give thanks to thee, O Lord, for although thou wast angry with me, thine anger is turned away, and thou dost comfort me, behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. Therefore you will joyously draw water from the springs of salvation. And in that day you will say, Give thanks to the Lord. Call on his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Make them remember that his name is exalted. Praise the Lord in song. For he has done excellent things, and one of them is this virgin birth. So many things God has done, but this is the most marvelous, that he would come, and that he who is the creator would become like his creation and be made man in order that he might die for us. And we exalt his name. Praise the Lord in song, for he has done excellent things. Let this be known throughout the earth. Cry aloud and shout for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. And just like when the angels appeared to the shepherds and they cried out, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. And that's exactly what it's talking about. He is pleased when we believe him and we come to faith through him. So, um, do you have that peace? Are you certain where you will be when you die? It's not if you die, it's when you die. Are you certain where, where you will be? This peace with God is actually offered now. Now is the day of salvation. It's not some day distant in the future. It's not supposed to be on my deathbed, although it can be. But what if I am not aware? Like, don't put off the day of salvation, because now is the day that God is calling us to have that peace. And if you know God, if you have peace in your heart, then live it out and exalt him and make known his name among all the peoples. So this Advent Sunday of peace is the perfect time to settle that peace once and for all with God. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you so much for you are our great God, the exalted one, the one that is highest and above all. And Lord, we would pray that as we um, come to you and as we think about you and as the world thinks about the Christ child in this season, we pray that it might be a time where many, many will come to have that real peace, that peace where they have been Um, striving against you or striving to make you happy with them, that they will realize that it's all done through Christ, that he is the one who makes us right with the eternal Father. And so we pray that during this time that we will have that peace that comes only from you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You'll find a warm, relaxed atmosphere at MCC. We love worship and music here. It is our desire to direct people to the Lord Jesus Christ, the source of all life, hope, and true transformation. Our Sunday service starts at 10.30 a.m. and runs till noonish. Coffee and snacks are served, children's church, and childcare are available.